A Protestant moved into a completely Catholic community. Being good Catholics, they welcomed him into their community, but also because they were good Catholics, they didn't eat red meat on Fridays. So when their neighbour began barbecuing, barbecuing some juicy steak on Friday evening, they, were, they began to squirm. They were so annoyed, they went to talk to him. And after much discussion, they persuaded him that he should become a Catholic. So the next Sunday, he went to see the priest. And the priest sprinkled holy water on him and said, You were born a Protestant, you were raised a Protestant, but now you're a Catholic. And so the next Friday, as the neighbours sat down to eat their fish, they were disturbed by the smell of roast beef coming from the neighbouring house. They went over to talk to the new Catholic because he knew he shouldn't be eating beef on a Friday. When they saw him, he was sprinkling ketchup on the beef and saying, You were born a cow, you were raised a cow, you are now fish. We're in a sermon series looking at the Apostle of Paul to the Colossians. And today, as you will have spotted, we've got to the second half of chapter 2. Paul was writing this letter because the Colossian Christians were going slightly off the rails. And there was some false teaching going on that he wanted to correct. He's saying in verse 17 that the Jewish law in the Old Testament was designed to point to God's salvation through Jesus Christ. Jesus has completed the plan, and so the law is, in a way, redundant now, and everything is all about Jesus. So that's why he says it's a shadow of things that were to come. Jesus has died and taken away our sin, so our sinful nature has been put off, and we can die to our old ways of being bound by rules and regulations, and rise with him to a new existence, a new way of being, free from regulations and living just for him. Now, for us, it's a bit different because we, ne- we were never confined by the Jewish law. But if you can imagine, for the early, early Christians in the early church, they, they had this very rigid system of laws, or at least the Jews did. Um, and so it's completely different from them. They're completely set free. And yet we also are set free from human rules. So when we get to verse 16, Paul is tackling some of the false teaching that is, in effect, pulling the new Christians back into legalism and also into false religion. The teaching seems to have been a mixture of the Jewish law and also folk religion, quite heavily influenced by seeds of early Gnosticism uh, and by mystery cults and paganism, which were all around in Colossae at the time. So Paul says in verse 16, Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Throughout their history, the Jews had kept themselves separate from other people by regulations about what they could and couldn't eat. And there's a great long list in Leviticus 11 about what was permitted and what wasn't. However, although Jesus taught very clearly in Mark chapter 7 that it's not what you eat that makes you unclean, but what's in your heart, and therefore all foods are okay to eat. 
the issue was still a hot topic in the early church. At the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15, the disciples and other early leaders of the Christian church had met to discuss whether Gentile Christians should be made to be circumcised and to accept the Jewish food laws. And they came to the conclusion that as God had clearly accepted the Gentile Christians as they were, which could be evidenced by the fact that the Holy Spirit was working actively in them, there was no need to impose Jewish laws on them because salvation was and is only through Jesus Christ. But the thing was that some of the Jewish converts to Christianity were still following the Jewish food laws and therefore there was some friction in the church. You know, some people even today draw close connection between eating and drinking and spirituality. Some people maintain that eating meat or drinking coffee or alcohol, eating McDonald's, eating non-organic food, and even eating peanut butter are spiritually detrimental. Let's remember that Jesus said, what goes in your mouth and all the way through and out the other end is not what affects your spiritual life. And Paul says in 1 Timothy 4 verse 4, in the context of food, everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. Now we obviously have to be sensible about this. We're told clearly in the Bible that greed and gluttony are sins, so we need to eat and drink in moderation. And it's good to eat healthily and do some exercise to keep our bodies fit. We also need to consider what effect our behaviour has on other people. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 9, Be careful that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. And he went on to say in verse 13, If what I eat causes my brother to sin, I will never eat meat again. Now if we choose to be a vegetarian or a vegan for our health, that's up to the individual person. But it doesn't give us the right to consider ourselves spiritually superior. And it doesn't give us the right to interfere with farmers or give them a hard time either. Another thing Paul says the Colossian church should not do in verse 16 is let people judge them with regards to religious festivals, new moon celebrations or Sabbath days. Now these are festivals that are talked about a lot in the Old Testament. And it's not that they're a bad thing in themselves. The trouble was that the people who were advocating the observance of these festivals were not doing it for the right reasons. The festivals had been originally designed as a celebration of God's sovereignty and salvation. But in Colossae, there were a couple of moon gods being worshipped, and many of the initiation ceremonies to the mystery religions took place at new moon times. So people were observing these festivals for the wrong purpose, as a means of warding off evil spirits or currying the favour of angelic beings, rather than for worshipping God. So Paul was warning against the way the festivals were going, 
as well as pointing out that the church had been freed from the tyranny of rules and regulations, including the observance of festivals. And it would be really quite strange if people wanted to ensnare themselves again. It is possible for churches to get caught up in rules and regulations still. Some keen churches who are eager to produce ardent Christians have got caught up in authoritarianism, heavy shepherding, rigid attitudes and the demand for unquestioning obedience. It's when sound advice and wise pastoral guidance become hardened into duty and requirement that it becomes a problem. The rule book approach is not freedom in Christ. In fact, it denigrates Christ. It makes him less important because as rules become the authority, some of Jesus' authority is removed and his place of prime importance is slightly shifted. Some spiritual disciplines are good and helpful for people and may help to produce spiritual maturity. Jesus recommended and demonstrated both fasting and taking time out to pray alone. Retreats and special prayer days are helpful. We just have to be careful about making rules and pressurizing people and make sure we do these sorts of things for the right reasons as a way of getting closer to God and worshipping him rather than doing them as an end in themselves or even in trying to manipulate God or as a way of scoring points to try and earn salvation. That can't be done. Jesus is the only way to salvation. False humility is mentioned twice in this passage and in verse 23, I think it may refer to the various forms of mortification which have been advocated down the centuries. Things like sleep deprivation, sleeping on a bed of nails, wearing hair shirts, taking cold showers, flagellation, isolation, celibacy, and so on, as a means of becoming more spiritual. There was a chap called Simon the Stylite who sat on top of a stone column for 36 years. Some Celtic monks took to sleeping standing up and praying neck deep in icy water. And it was all supposed to subdue the flesh and let the soul dominate. It's strange, isn't it, that people think they can make themselves more acceptable to God by becoming more uncomfortable. But these are not the ways that God has chosen to make himself known to us. External discipline cannot bring internal change. Internal change is brought about by Jesus transforming our lives. The worship of angels was also linked to false humility in verse 17, or somewhere near the beginning. (laughs) Uh, Because some people took the attitude that they were too humble to pray to God. So they thought they would pray to the angels instead. The effect was that Angels became more important, and then Jesus became less important. And in fact, for some people, he was devalued to becoming on the same level as the angels. This is clearly heresy. Jesus is the only one who can mediate between us and God. 
and anything that makes Jesus less important is clearly wrong. There's been a lot of interest in angels recently. Angelology, the study of angels, is all the rage. Angels clearly have a place in biblical teaching, but we need to bear in mind that limited and quite restrained teaching about them in the Bible and be a bit careful about claims that are made about them that bear no resemblance to what the Bible says. We need to remember that anything that detracts from the prime importance of Jesus is extremely questionable. Paul said in verse 19 that they had lost connection with their power supply, the head, Jesus. And without him, they could not grow as God intended them to grow. And it's just the same for us. We have to keep connected to Jesus or we stop being effective. In fact, the whole body of the church needs to be held together by keeping firmly attached to Jesus so that we can grow and function as God intends. If we're Christians, we have died with Christ. And what that means is that we've turned away from our old life of being controlled by the forces of this world and the rules of the law. It's over now, because now we live with and for him. We're free from regulations. Why would we want to go back to them? And what are we freed into? We will be looking at chapter 3, which takes this a bit further, but not for a few weeks because of Easter. So for today, I'd like you to think about this. Jesus said, the most important commandment is to love. To love God with everything that we are, and to love our neighbours as we love ourselves. So we have been set free to love and serve God and our neighbours. Isn't that fantastic? I heard a good definition of love recently. It's this. To love someone is to do everything that you possibly can to enable them to flourish. To love someone is to do everything you possibly can to enable them to flourish. It's Mothering Sunday, which makes me think about motherhood and parenthood in general. I think that most people, when they become parents, set out to be the best parents there have ever been or at least to be and to do the best they can. It usually turns out to be quite a lot tougher than we expected. If we think back to our parents, they probably set out to be the best they could as well, even if it didn't always quite feel that way from where we were standing. What I'm trying to say is that today... Mothering Sunday is a day we can look back with gratitude to our parents who loved us to the best of their ability. And if you're fortunate enough to still have parents around, you can thank them personally. For those of us who are parents, it's an opportunity to rededicate ourselves to love our children to the best of our ability and to do everything in our power to enable them to flourish. For the rest of us, we promised at every baptism service we've ever been to that we would support parents and godparents in bringing up their children. So let's rededicate ourselves to that. Let's remember, we have been set free to love and serve God and our neighbours. Shall we pray?
Father God, thank you that we have been set free from rules and regulations, free to love and serve you and other people. We pray that we will be people who enable others to flourish and that we will be so full of love for you and for each other that people notice and want to know why. Father, today we want to thank you for our parents and for the love and sacrifice they put into bringing us up. We pray for your blessing on all of our parents who are still around. We also pray for our children and pray that we will have wisdom and patience and above all love for them. We pray that you'll watch over each child and young person in this church family and bless them as they grow. And we ask that you'll bring them all to know you for themselves and to go on to love and serve you in the whole of their lives. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.